All right, today you're going to need to take notes because I've got a lot of uh, non-typical things for me, like a lot of acronyms that you're going to be like, ooh, what does this mean? I'm going to write it down and take notes. So pull out your phone, pull out your journal, whatever you like to take notes on because we've got a lot of notes. Today we're teaching on how to love each other practically. This whole semester is all about love and learning to be a healthy community that loves each other very well so that when people come into the house, they can get healed up and hold, um, hold, whole. <laughs> Amen. So that's what we're talking about today is loving people. So I read a book several years ago. Homero's going to show it to you. It's called Hope and Change for Humpty Dumpty by Gary Sweeten and Steve Griebling, okay? Hope and change for Humpty Dumpty. And it was, it was in a course that I was taking with Randy Clark. It was the online healing school. And this book changed my life in a lot of different ways. It's just a PDF. It's free, and it's online, and you can Google Hope and Change for Humpty Dumpty. And I highly recommend all of us go get it and read it over and over because it's extremely practical on how to love and care for people. And when I first started reading it, I thought, I wasn't too excited about it. But when I finished, I thought, oh, my gosh, this has changed me. <laughs> this has changed the way that I care for people. It's so helpful. So what I'm going to do today uh, is I'm just going to teach you this book. I'm gonna re I took a whole bunch of quotes from the book, and I'm just going to read through a big chunk of the book, essentially, and, and let you hear what Gary has to say about uh, loving people practically. Sound good? Okay. Here we go. So, Father, I'm just asking that you come and everything that we're supposed to Receive from this word today, would you let it happen, anything or not, would you filter it out? God, I'm asking that your spirit would come and flow and supernaturally teach us to love the way that you love in heaven, the way that you love other people. Help us today, God. Amen. Okay. Biblical faith is spreading to the ends of the earth as it never has before. Among the examples of the amazing progress of the gospel are the growing number of non-Western missionaries and the church in China that has grown from 1 million to 80 million in the last 60 years since World War II. At the beginning of the 20th century, 80% of all Christians lived in Europe and the United States. At the beginning of the 21st century, some 60% live in non-Western countries with 43% in Africa and Latin America. Why is the church growing so rapidly at this time? There's many reasons, but one factor is the dramatic increase in churches reaching out with kindness, love, and care. This has brought millions to faith in Christ. Kindness evangelism establishes the church as a place of comfort and sensitivity that attracts people looking for nurture, care, and counsel. If we advertise our church as a hospital for sinners, we must be prepared to help the wounded and bleeding who show up in our emergency room doors. Amen. So in 1983, which this book was written uh, maybe 10 years ago, the, one of the writers, Gary, 1983, the Lord told Gary that the campus revival he was experiencing was a small part of God's global plan, and the word went something like this. The Lord said, I'm pouring out my spirit on the church in a new reformation. In the first reformation, I took my word out of the hands of a few, and I gave it to all my people. In this reformation, I will take my works out of the hands of a few and give it to all my people. All right? So the first reformation, the gospel was kept with a few, and the Lord spread the word to all these people. Right? The second one, his works are being taken from the few power healers and that kind of stuff, and it's being spread amongst all these people. And this was back in 1983 when the Lord spoke to him about this, and I think when we look today, this absolutely is 100% what's happening in the Christian world today. 
So we believe that this Reformation is as revolutionary and important as the one led by Tyndale, Luther, and Calvin. However, it will only be successful when churches develop ways to both know the Word of God and to do the works of God in power and love. And then believers will be able to carry out the twin commands of Jesus, which is go into all the world and make disciples. And then heal the brokenhearted and set captives free. One of their co-teachers in Singapore, Mrs. Tan Lee Lee, wrote a new poem about helping Humpty change. May this rhyme encourage the church. Ready? It says, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. It's not the king's horses and it's not the king's men, but God who can put Humpty together again. Humpty Dumpty lay next to the wall. Humpty Dumpty bemoaned his great fall. With warmth and concern, respect and yes love, the king's men brought Humpty to the great king above. Say aww. So that's where the name of the book comes from. He says, we're not fearful or discouraged about the church. We believe that congregations can become communities of love, truth, and power. The new reformation equips the saints to do the ministry of care, counsel, and discipleship. And no organization or clinic is as successful as the church in putting Humpty and Mrs. Dumpty back together again. We will need not be embarrassed or ashamed about the effectiveness of the church to heal, deliver, and restore. It's the only hope for a broken world. Jesus did more than anybody to alert the world to the importance of mental, emotional, and physical and spiritual health. No other great teacher left such a legacy. Not Confucius, Buddha, Muhammad, or any lesser figure was known as the great physician. His work usually divided into three parts, preaching, teaching, and healing. However, even the teaching and preaching often focus on health and healing. All right? Did you know that about one-fifth of all four Gospels is directly tied to healing? Okay, Some 727 of the 3,779 verses relate to healing of physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual problems in 41 different accounts of healing. Healing comes from the Old English word how, which means wholeness and holiness. The Hebrew word... Shalom, usually translated as peace, means wholeness of the entire person. Jesus uses different words to describe health, including blessedness, uh, life, and wholeness. Even the term used for salvation, sozo, can, be, can mean healing of the body and the soul. And the church is a salvation community, including body, soul, and family with a spiritual dimension. The most important commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands, okay? The care and cure of souls is a three-way relationship of two persons and God. There is no other way to be whole and holy except for with God being a part. The early church was a powerful community of wholeness because the believers cared for each other. Healing did not depend on a specialized counselor. And Jesus commanded us to continue the ministry of teaching, and the early church followed that preaching and healing for many years. Okay? So when Jesus laid out the foundation of the church, the general idea of the church was very much connected to healing. Physical body, but also emotional, mental, spiritual, all different types of healing. 
And we've said for years that the church is a hospital for the sick. Come on in. But in, in recent days, what he's saying is that the church oftentimes invites people in. Come in, all who are broken and sick. But then we come in, and we have a sick patient, and we set them on the chair. And we're like, glad you're here. Maybe you'll get better someday. i got to run. I'm not going to take care of you. Okay? The only way that the church is going to function correctly, like it's supposed to, is, is if we become a healing church, a healing community together, and we understand the tools needed to care for sick and broken and hurting people as, as a corporate body where we can bring them back to life, bring them back to health. So that's the vision. That's the point of the whole semester is to say, how do we love people really well? To the point where they're actually changed by the love that we bring to them. And they don't come in sick and leave sick too. But they come in sick and slowly over time by being around you guys and having intentional conversation and you guys investing in different people as the Lord leads, they find themselves being healed up and restored inside their bodies. Amen? So that's what we're going for. There's two aspects of a healing community. The first one is called grace and truth to outsiders. And the second one is the healing flow for insiders. Both point to the importance of our attitudes and behavior toward people in pain. An attitude of grace and truth toward all persons outside the group is the first essential. Healing congregations do not hoard their grace, but they lavish it on the people around them. When those who have been touched by God's grace extend it to those outside, the fellowship is prepared to care and cure. When those who have been personally loved with an everlasting love show the same kind of acceptance to the undeserving, there's a movement towards becoming a source of health. And when sinners are accepted, as they are, warts, struggles, and failures intact, we can see a family that will heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. This is the grace-applied part of a healing community. There's a second and important aspect of entering the fellowship. Along with an attitude that accepts people with grace is an expectation that the wounded, sinful, powerless person will not stay that way. A good hospital accepts the sick and hopeless patients, but never is satisfied to leave them that way. Its healthcare team has a better way. The doctors, nurses, aides, and leaders are fully committed to the wellness but accomplish it by accepting the dying. If they succeed only in acceptance but fail as healers, their promises are empty lies. Ouch. <laughs> Lord, help us. The same is true for the church. Acceptance is essential, but it's not enough. Many loving congregations fail to fully restore those who come in. Love alone does bring some healing. However, when we add his truth and power, the healing is greater and it lasts longer. The other major dimension is releasing God's healing flow in the congregation. The care and cure of souls that comes from simply being with other ordinary Christians cannot be overemphasized. We need to train the laity to interact with health and then the whole body with its varied gifts, talents, skills, and experiences. It gives strength, power, and love to each member. This alone brings about health and growth for God, designed the church to work as a body that mends itself. In a healthy fellowship, broken members will become part of the healing flow. The church is the most powerful healing community that the world has ever known. Amen? The church grows and reproduces in a continuous cycle of life when the right nutrients of truth, love, and power exist together. 
A healing community has grace and truth for outsiders and healing flow for insiders. It welcomes the brokenhearted, the wounded, the forgotten, and lonely, but challenges members to live out the truth on the journey of transformation. Healing comes from love encounters, truth encounters, and power encounters. Isn't that awesome? I know it's a little, a little dry, but gosh, the content is so good. And every, I, his story, his background, is he was a part of the Jesus movement back in the 60s, 70s. And he had been blasted by the Holy Spirit, if you will. And they'd have these, you know, encounters with the Lord where the Holy Spirit just shows up and everybody has a major power encounter of some sort. And then as a whole, the church that he was a part of said, oh my gosh, that's the answer to everything. Everybody's got to get blasted by the Holy Spirit. That's, that'll fix everything. And so they pursued that for quite a while. And they went down that path. But then years into it, he begins to realize, wait a minute, that person that came in sick and hurt and wounded has had a bunch of those power encounters, and they're still the same. Okay, Now sometimes... It does happen where somebody gets an encounter with God, everything changes in a moment, and they're completely changed forever. That's absolutely true. But oftentimes, that's not enough, and you need more. And so Gary began to realize, oh my goodness, we have to, we have, to have the other piece. And so the, if I remember it correctly, they swung the other way. And they went, oh, well, that's not the answer. Well, this is the answer. Let's only do counseling. Let's only do these things. And then over time, he began to realize that's not enough either. You must have a holistic view of health and healing in, a, in the church being a, a healthy community in order for people to become everything that they're supposed to be. And so I, I love his story because he's kind of in the same stream that we're in, but he sees the bigger picture, which I want us to receive as well. Okay? So 100% of healing I love this. Researchers have found that when trying to help a person out of a situation, there's four different things that help the person get out of the situation. One is content. The person helping them has content. What is the content that they're sharing, and how much does that content play in helping the person out of their situation? Tracking with me? Okay, the second one is the, the person seeking help. How much confidence do they have in the process, and how much confidence do they have in them changing? Okay, so that's content, confidence. The third one is warm care. Coming to a place, the person wanting help comes into a place where there's warm care that draws them in and helps bring healing to their heart. That's the third one. And the fourth one is context, okay? So context is like, okay, the person comes in for counseling one hour a week. What happens the other 168 hours a week? What's the context that they're in? And how hungry are they for change? And are they willing to make some changes in the rest of their life to see healing happen? Okay? So you got content, confidence, warm care, and context. Those are the four. Now I want to ask you the question, what percentage do you think content plays in getting that person to 100% healed? Okay? So of the person helping them, they have content that they've been trained in. How much does what they have to give matter in helping that person get to 100% healing? You understand my question? This is yes. This is I have no idea who you are. <laughs> my name's Grant. Hi. <laughs> do you understand or do you want me to try it again? Okay, we got it. So content, what you're giving out to the person to help the person, what percentage do you think that matters in getting the person. What? 10? 5? 50? 
50? Thanks, Cecil. <laughs> the logical mechanic back here. 20%. All right. Anybody else? Okay, so content matters only 15% of the time. Okay, that's only 15% of the whole picture of somebody getting better is what you're giving out to them. Okay? The second one is confidence. The person's confidence matters 15% as well. So those two together, only 30%, only a third of what's going on. Warm care, what percentage? 40%? 50? 15? 16? 60. <laughs> okay. What? One dollar. <laughs> I got one, I got one, I got two, 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 two. Okay. Warm care attributes for one-third of the person's overall healing. Okay? Isn't that interesting? You wouldn't think that, you would think that if you're a counselor and you spend years and years and years and years and years and years and years in training, and you get your doctorate and you're setting up a counseling shop, you would think that your information that you've been taught and trained would matter a whole lot more than 15 measly percent. Wouldn't you think so? But the way that you love somebody warmly and you care for them attributes for a third alone of them getting better. Isn't that crazy? Okay, now the last one is context, which is 40%. Context and community, which they surround themselves with, is 40%. It's important to understand what a person does with the 167 hours they're not with us. We discuss friends, work, family members, and church colleagues. Are they encouraging growth? And healing, or do they pull the client down to their level of dysfunction? Okay, 40%. Almost half is the context that they're in. So it matters a whole lot. It matters a little bit what you know. Somebody comes to you, somebody comes in the church, and you think, oh my goodness, this poor person, they need help. And maybe the Lord's putting it on your heart to help them. And you think, I don't know anything. I don't know how to help this person. What am I going to do? Look, your knowledge is one 15%, one measly little slice of the puzzle of you helping them. You loving them well is a third of it, and you helping get their context correct is almost half of it. And their desire, their hunger, right, measly 15%, okay? All right, these are the three stages of a person in their process of healing and wholeness. That's so fun on YouTube. Do you have this one, Homer? Thank you. Three stages. Everybody say VCR. This book was written in the days of VCRs. So he had this really cool, really cool thing back in the day. But uh, if you don't know what those are, you're going to ask your mom. VCR. These are the three stages of somebody getting whole. The first one is the visitor uh, or the host stage. Okay, so the seeker in this book is the person looking for help. The helper is the person helping. It's crazy. So the seekers are uninterested in change, and the helpers are very good hosts. That's stage number one. So somebody comes in, they don't really care to change, and so your role is to be a great host, to love them very well. Stage number two, the complainant listener stage. The seeker admits a problem and sees others as responsible for solutions, and the helpers listen, clarify, and they get specific. Okay? So in this stage, the person realizes there's a problem. They want to change. They begin to ask questions. You as the helper are asking great questions. You're listening very well. 
and you're helping to clarify and get specific on what's going on. The third stage of change is the ready for change. It's the solution-focused stage. So the seeker desires to change themselves. The seeker is going to work hard on their goals, and the helper cooperates with the goals. Okay? So say VCR. Three stages of change. Three stages of change. <laughs> Here's a quick overview of the skills that are most appropriate at each stage of the VCR process. The acrostic is long but easily remembered. It is, as I grew calm and so smart. Okay? That's the acrostic. I told you you would want to take notes because there ain't no way you're going to remember this. As I grew calm and so smart. All right? We're not going to talk about calm and so smart. If you want to find out how to help people with the rest of it, I'm not going to tell you today. You have to go read the book because it's free on Google. Go check it out. But we are going to talk about as I grew. Okay? So say as I grew. As I, it stands for always spiritual and having an inviting attitude. And then grew stands for a genuine, respectful, empathetic, warm. Okay? So as I, always spiritual. Only the Spirit leads us into all truth. Amen. We have the Holy Spirit with us and is in us at a coffee house, at a restaurant, at a woodland park, and on an automobile ride. We are always spiritual, no matter where we are. And so we can always rest in the wisdom of the Lord. We do not need to pray or quote scripture to be spiritual. Can I get an amen? We do not need to be in a special holy place to act with righteousness and godly discernment. Can I get an amen? It is not the building, but the body that is holy. God can guide our ideas and behavior whether we are acting religious or not, okay? So I'm, I'm using Cecil a lot today. When Cecil's out there smashing on a giant chunk of metal, trying to make it bend the way he wants it to go, he's in a very spiritual place. And he's out there with a lot of men who may or may not be as holy as he. He's in a very spiritual place. He is always spiritual, Okay, when you're in school, when you're sleeping, when you're at home watching TV, when you're walking the dog in a woodland park or going on an automobile ride, you are always spiritual. Okay, inviting attitude. So as always spiritual, say always spiritual. As I, I is inviting attitude An inviting attitude welcomes all to the table of fellowship. It's similar to kindness because it bids hurting hearts to come to a place of safety, love, and truth. Okay? So put your hands out wide. This is I. Always inviting. So everywhere we go, we're in a spiritual place, and we're always inviting. Everybody around us, we're inviting them in to come and be a part. Come to the fellowship table. That song, Come to the River, that's like the theme song with I. Inviting, come to the river, come to the feast, everybody. I'm walking in this beautiful place with God, enjoying his goodness everywhere I go. So come be with me. Come on. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you are. I don't care how terrible you are. Come, I'm having a great dinner right now. Okay, that's the I, always inviting attitude. Now let's look at grew. In the 1960s, Robert R. Karkoff, 
was researching why some helpers were very successful in facilitating positive changes in clients and others were less so. This, called, this is called outcome research. He discovered that successful helpers had what he called four core attributes, which set them apart from unsuccessful helpers. And recent research indicates that the core conditions are necessary to all effective care and counsel, and that those they make up, they make up about 30% of the movement toward a problem solution. These four core attributes are genuineness, respect, empathy, and warmth. Say it with me. Genuineness, respect, empathy, and warmth. Genuineness, respect, empathy, and warmth. This is GRU, okay? These are the four core attributes of what sets great helpers from bad helpers. Those four things, okay? So the first one is genuine. Being a genuine person is hard work. To be honest with myself and with others requires me to examine my own heart, frankly, and to discern the shadows that lurk hidden within. Genuineness is costly, but there are also many positive payoffs in our relationships. Honest reflections about struggles can enable a better understanding of the human condition so I can assist others in their journey toward wholeness. Honest examinations about my sin, guilt, and cleansing and need to change brings growth in authentic compassion for others. Genuineness communicates acceptance without license, reality without self-pity, and openness without pride. Fake Christianity allows us to judge harshly, act pridefully, and condemn easily. Say, boo. We don't want to know that. The first stage of genuineness is self-knowledge. We get to know ourselves by thinking carefully about our thoughts and feelings and how they interact in different situations. By understanding ourselves, we are less likely to mistakenly project our personal feelings on others. All right? By understanding ourselves, we are less likely to mistakenly project our personal feelings on others. That's a big chunk of being genuine is Paying attention to what's going on inside of you before it comes out onto others. So step one of being genuine. Do I have this? I will explore. It's a list. I forget if it's in there. No, not yet. Okay. Step one of being genuine. I will explore my thoughts and my feelings. Okay? I'm going to look internal. Step two. I know my thoughts and feelings. Okay? So first, I'm going to Try to figure out. Then, okay, I can I know what my thoughts and feelings are. Step three, I can name my thoughts and feelings. Step four, I can acknowledge my thoughts and feelings. Step five, I can discuss my thoughts and feelings. Step six, I know the difference between my thoughts and feelings and and the thoughts and feelings of others, including my family. Okay? Isn't that good? So very practical tips to being genuine. It's a whole bunch about looking inside. Okay? Being willing to explore. Okay? Then saying, I know what my thoughts and feelings are. Then being able to verbally say them by name. I feel whatever. Then being able to acknowledge them to other people. 
Then being able to have an actual discussion about those thoughts and feelings. And then being able to have a discussion and recognizing, oh, that's my thoughts and feelings, and that's not their thoughts and feelings. Okay? So that's the genuineness cycle. Okay? The process of self-awareness requires us to know the difference between a thought and a feeling, a skill about which many are confused. Some have developed a habit of saying uh, feeling when they really mean what I think. All right? We're going to talk about empathy and respect in just a little bit, but first we're going to talk about warmth. Okay? So genuineness, uh, respect, empathy, warmth. We're going to talk about warmth now. Dr. Albert Merabian's research on the proper temperature of a relationship instructs us here. He found that nonverbal interactions are even more important than the words we use. Say, huh. The actual words we say contribute how much? What percentage do the words coming out of your mouth matter in what you're communicating? 30%? 10%? One dollar, <laughs> okay? I <laughs> See, in my logical mind, Cecil might be with me on this one. Uh, when I say something, that's 100% of what I mean. <laughs> Anybody else in the room? Any other men? <laughs> it's all men. <laughs> oh, Kristen, thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, but that's not the truth. And Dr. Albert Meherberlin has proven that. So he says that the words coming from your mouth only attribute to 7% of what you are actually communicating. <laughs> Say boo. <laughs> 7%, it's basically worthless, okay? <laughs> Our tone and voice is a factor five times more powerful than the best chosen words. Guess how many percent? Tone and, and voice. 80 what do y'all say? Okay, 38% of the message comes from your tone of voice, all right? Learning to tune ourselves to the preferred level of others is very important to a successful ministry. I'm going to say it again, and then you're going to repeat it. Learning to tune ourselves to the preferred level of others is very important to a successful ministry. Now repeat it. Learning to tune ourselves to the preferred level of others is very important to a successful ministry. Do you know, you know this SNL skits where they like copy each other like as it's happening? That's what's going on. Okay, we'll sing it next. Learning. Just kidding. <laughs> you can try an experiment. Next time you see your dog, make a nasty comment in a warm, loving tone of voice. <laughs> So how does it work? 7% are matters of words. Fido, I hate you with all of my heart. Right? Is it true? 7%? I won't, be the, I won't do the mean side. <clears throat> Dr. Meherbrarian discovered that body language speaks even more powerfully than tone of voice. Body language contains some 55% of the message. Yikes. The body language and tone of voice of Jesus drew the sick and lonely, women, outcasts, and children to his side. Nonverbal communication makes up some 93% of each message, and they arise from the unconscious heart. 
Thus, personal, spiritual, soul surgery is the only way to improve our relationships. Oh, man. <laughs> Lord Jesus, help me. <laughs> All right. So, before we move on to that, pay attention. Nonverbals, 93%. So somebody walks through that door. They've been beat up. They've had all hell thrown at them. And they're sitting in the chair with nobody around them. Your nonverbals matter 93%. Your warm care is a third of how they're going to get where they're going to be. And if they f- surround themselves with the context of a healthy body, that's almost half of them getting to a better place. Amen? Okay. Solar T. Solar T stands for behavior that will promote health and growth. I want everybody to think about a person that you enjoy being with. Eli, she's up here. Okay? You can think about Eli if you want to. I enjoy being with him. Now, I want you to close your eyes. Think of somebody that you most enjoy being with, not your spouse. Or if, if that's not who you're thinking, maybe it should be your spouse. <laughs> okay, so close your eyes. Who's somebody that you love to hang around? Everybody have somebody in mind? Okay, nod your head yes. Okay, now I want you to identify in your mind what attributes of that person make me love being around them. Think of at least three things. Okay, you got it? Three things? Okay, you look back here. More than likely, their warmth will match your level of comfort. They probably attend to you in the ways you feel most comfortable. And those whom we deem to be cool, withdrawn, or impassive do not impress us as friendly. Overly intense people leave us with an uncomfortable feeling. Okay? Does that match up with the people you were just thinking about? You love to be around them. Do they have a pretty good warmth level around you? Is yes, is no. All right, so solar T. These are extremely practical things with your body language to help you learn how to um, help people like you, (laughs) how to win friends and impress people. Solar T, all right? So um, the S, it stands for be sensitive of their space, okay? So, Makobi, I know you're taking notes. We're coming up here. Here be my guinea pig. So... um, in body language, okay? So face me if uh, I'm being sensitive of space, right? Hey, man, how you doing? Did you have a good weekend? Okay. If I come in, hey, man, how you doing? <laughs> Did you have a good weekend? <laughs> Awkward, right? And if I'm, what's up, dude? How you doing, man? Did you have a good day? And I'm standing back. What's that communicating to him? Okay? It's communicating I'm not too interested, right? So be sensitive of space. Maybe like an arm length away if you're talking to people. Be close enough to where you don't have to, you know, shout loud, where other people aren't necessarily like up in your business. But also don't be too close that they're like, oh, my gosh, this guy's a freak. Okay? So that's the S, space. L stands for, I'm sorry, O, slawler. O stands for openness, okay? So if I'm, uh, if I'm standing like this, and we're sitting here talking, and I'm like, what's going on, man? Tell me about your week. Did you have a good day? I'm all closed off. I'm all hunched over. I'm not really interested. I'm looking down, okay? This communicates 93% to him that I don't give a rip about him, okay? So openness is having your shoulders open, having your 
chest face towards him, communicate with your body, okay? Say yes, Grant, I will do that. L stands for lean forward, okay? When you're, when you're standing, it's a little awkward. <laughs> hey, man, how you doing? <laughs> right? <laughs> it may not work so well when you're standing, but um, if you're sitting down and you're talking to the person, lean forward. If you're slouched back and you're in your chair, it makes them feel like you don't care at all. So if you're lean forward, pay attention to what they're saying, that's helpful. Appropriate eyes, okay? Now, if I'm talking to him, yeah, man, I had a great weekend, I did this, I did that, and I'm looking away and I don't have appropriate eye contact, how does it make him feel? Like I'm really not interested in talking with him right now, okay? But on the other side of the coin, if I'm all I'm doing is staring at him, <laughs> had a great weekend. It was really good. How are you today? <laughs> right? It can get super awkward super fast, and they won't want to be around you. Probably the people in your mind that you enjoyed being around um, did not use inappropriate eye contact, okay? So don't use inappropriate eye contact. Look at them every so often, glance away sometimes, but stay connected through the eyes. Okay, R is relaxed. Have a relaxed posture as if you're not trying to go somewhere. Yeah, okay, and you're tapping your foot, and you're like oh, checking the time and thinking about what's going on. You're anxious to move on with the conversation. You want them to feel like they are your priority when you're talking with them right now. And so you're relaxed, you're open, you're doing eye contact, Okay. T is touch, all right? So we're shaking hands. What's up, buddy? And I'm just holding on for way too long. It's going to get real awkward, too. He's going to be like, let go of me. Or if I'm like, buddy, oh, it's great to see you. How are you? Oh, McCoby. Oh, buddy. Oh. <laughs> Super awkward. Don't do that, okay? Give a nice, you know, like. And the warm physical touch. Physical touch is a love language, right? So the way that you touch people appropriately is powerful in their healing, in them feeling loved and cared for by you, okay? Now, if I do this, that's not, but, you know, a little, love you, buddy. You're awesome, okay? Um, e is the environment. So if, especially if you're having, trying to have a real conversation with somebody and you want to really connect with them, you're focused on, I want to have a real connection with this person. I want them to feel loved and cared for by me. You need to be aware of the environment around you. So if we're trying to talk, and I'm really curious about how something's going in his life, maybe I pull him aside to the side of the room. Or if we're like in the middle, and every, I feel like everybody's listening to us. Hey, let's step over here. Tell me about what's going on. Um, just be aware of what's going around you. If you're trying to have a good conversation with somebody and you go somewhere to like a coffee shop and it's just super busy and you feel like the lady over there in the booth is all up in your grill and she's going to ask all these questions, move away. Be aware of the environment, okay? And then A for solar T is accommodating attitude. Me having an accommodating attitude towards him is extremely important. Thank you very much. Okay. Look at your neighbor. Stare them in the eyes. <laughs> and say, don't do this, ever. <laughs> okay. Okay, so quiz on solar tea. Those are great practical tips of how you can make people feel like you are a warm person when you're talking to them. So a quiz, how well do you express warmth to people you like and people you don't like, strangers and non-strangers? 
rate yourself right now on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being Jesus, really warm and you love to be around this person, and 1 being like super closed off and freaky eyeball person, where do you rate yourself? Everybody get a number. So one is aloof, inattentive. Ten is consistent warmth with body language, tone of voice, including the ability to express intense emotions like anger or grief. Okay? If you're brave enough, you can stick your finger up. I don't know what number you are. Anybody? Good job, bud. Good job. Good job. Okay. Good. Great. Good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> that was a genuine wife speaking for their husbands. <laughs> okay. Um, how will you know when your, when your warmth improves by one point? How will you know when your warmth goes from one to two? It's just specific for each person. There's not one general, but uh, just take a minute and think about, okay, if I'm here and I want people to feel warmth because I want to be a healing place for people. I want to be Jesus' hands and feet on the earth. So I want to act like him. I want to be a 10. What's a, what's a good practical step that I can take to move up one point? Okay? Everybody think about it for just a second. Look at your toes and think about it. What would be different about your behavior how would this affect other people what would they say is different about you And everybody set a goal to increase your warm interactions with a friend, family member, or colleague. Anybody brave enough to share a practical thing you would like to try this week to increase your warmth? Great. Okay. Empathy. Um, <laughs> genuineness. Thank you, Ashley. Smile more. Everybody smile. Keith Wheeler, he always says, Every, just smile. All the time, smile for no reason. Put a smile on your face. People feel drawn and attracted to smile. When Keith comes, by the way, Keith Wheeler's coming December 6th, I believe. Uh, if you don't know who Keith is, he's carried the cross around the globe for more than 20 years. He's, carried, he's literally carried a giant 12-foot cross that weighs about 100 pounds, over 22,000 miles walked. Okay? He's amazing. He's got the most ridiculous stories you've ever heard. He's been thrown in jail way more times than I can count. But when you talk to him, it's crazy. And raise your hand if you can attest. It's literally like everybody in the room disappears. And you're the only person on earth. And all he cares about is whatever you want to talk about. It's, I've never spoken with a person that I felt like this person m represents Jesus more than anybody I've ever seen before. It's crazy. And he does it 
through nonverbals. He does it through appropriate eye contact. He does it through solar T. Um, it's a trained skill. I've spent a lot of time with him, and I can attest he doesn't always feel like doing that with you. But it's a trained skill that he believes Jesus would love people this way, and so I'm going to work diligently to make people feel the way that Jesus would make them feel right now. It's amazing. Okay. So, um, let's move on. you got genuineness. Look inside. Be able to communicate how you're really feeling, what's really going on. Um, and then you have respect. You have empathy. We'll talk about respect in a second. Let's talk about empathy. This is a skill of active listening. Empathy is the ability... Do we have this one? Empathy? Sorry, I thought I had it up here. Empathy is the ability to imaginatively and accurately tune in to the mind and heart of another person in order to understand his thoughts and feelings in a way that he knows he is understood. Whoa. It's a lot of words. I'm going to read it again, but it's really, really good. Empathy is the ability to imaginatively and accurately tune into the mind and heart of another person in order to understand their thoughts and feelings in a way that they know that they are understood. Okay? That's empathy. Empathy is often mistaken for sympathy or feeling into the feelings of other people. My definition of empathy is the cognitive ability to accurately understand another person's thoughts and feelings. We can have accurate empathy for a hurting individual even if we cannot relate with the same personal feelings. Otherwise, it would be impossible for a man to help a mother depressed over her miscarriage. Okay? Sympathy goes farther than that, accurately understanding the ideas and feelings of others. To sympathize with a depressed woman requires one to actually experience her saddened emotional state. This is sometimes called compassion or mercy by Christians. We can learn the skills of empathy, but not sympathy. That is a gift from God that cannot be taught. Our goal is to teach you how to relate with accurate empathy. Okay, isn't that good? So, the scale of care. Do we have this? Zero to two, three to four. Sorry, guys, I thought I put these in there. Okay, the first one on the scale of care is zero to two. You are a calloused person. Um, you're uncaring. You have disregard for others' thoughts and feelings. Three to four is apathy. You have a lack of interest in others. Five to six is, five to six is empathy, an accurate discernment of others' ideas, concerns, and feelings. Seven to eight is sympathy, compassion with inner experience similar to another person, and 9 and 10 is enmeshment, is being enmeshed, confusing my feelings and ideas with their ideas and feelings, okay? And if you haven't caught on yet, 9 and 10 is a bad thing. We want to be at from in between empathy and sympathy on the scale. You got to protect yourself. Take care of yourself. Don't get super entangled into their junk. Protect yourself. But have empathy and pray to God for sympathy so that you can relate. Empathy is an observation skill that empowers us to bring clarity to misunderstanding and confusion. Sympathy is qualitatively different from empathy. In sympathy, we accurately share another person's thoughts and feelings through an inner emotional response to his or her situation. And as we respond with compassion, we, feel, we first feel the person's feelings, and then we are compelled to act accordingly and appropriately to assist them. Both motivate us to minister to the needs of others. 
However, sympathy is more challenging for us to regulate appropriately because we can confuse sympathy and enmeshment. The gift of compassion is not necessarily to developing a ministry is not necessary to developing a ministry of helping, but it can be a powerful source of motivation. If we only cared for others when we felt like it, we could be apathetic most of the time. Only Jesus had the perfect compassion, and only He managed it well. Okay. All right. Let's go on to listening styles. There's several different ways to listen. All of them can be used with great benefit to develop the skill of empathy. Reflect on each of the following styles and think about the ones you use most often. Okay? Number one, it's silent attending. Okay? Number one is silent attending. It's focusing on others with quiet attention and using your solar T skills. Okay? Second listening style, simple verbal attending. It's interest shown by door openers such as, oh, I see. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, yes. It's verbal warmth in the tone of your voice and nonverbal interactions and invitations. Number three, third listening style, active or reflective listening. Focused interest shown by crops, which is clarifying, confusing, or complicated ideas, reflecting, open-ended questions, paraphrasing for clarity, summarizing the person's main issues, and staying focused on the other person's topic of interest, okay? So you're listening and you're doing a lot of reflective listening, talking back with them, and helping clarify, reflecting, asking good open-ended questions. The fourth one is comprehensive listening. It's perceiving and relating to a person's inner life by concentrating on the conversation and connecting ideas, feelings, stories, and relationships to, the, to clarify the confusion. You're connecting thoughts with feelings. You're discovering themes and key points. You're discerning possible root causes of their problems. You're experiencing spiritual discernment. You're confirming the will of God. You're listening for the Spirit's guidance. You're formulating possible solutions. That's comprehensive listening. And the last one is listening with questions. We talked about how God creates internal pressure by asking you questions, right? So open-ended questions are designed to allow the person to respond as they want. How are you feeling about your family? Close-ended questions focus on one point. Did you drive to work today? Yes or no. Declarative questions are in a statement form. You seem to feel sad. Questions about essential information or a clarification about some fuzzy point. I am confused. Do you have two children or three? Questions designed to get positive answers. When are you better? Or what has the Lord called you to do? Questions designed to measure progress. On a scale from 0 to 10, how are you today compared to last week? All right? So those are the five different listening styles. There are three steps in developing the skills of active listening. First, identify the seeker's ideas. Second, identify their feelings. And finally, summarize or paraphrase your understanding of those thoughts and feelings in a tentative statement. Okay? So if you want to listen well, if you want to ask great questions, three simple, easy steps. Find out what their idea is. Find out what their feelings are, and then summarize those things together in a statement that makes them feel like you understand them. With me? Okay, we're almost done, guys. One more page. Scale of 1 to 10, rate yourself as a helper. What barriers do you need to overcome in order to improve your empathy? And with whom are you most likely to be enmeshed? What causes this response? 
So a one would be I'm a calloused person. I'm a calloused listener. Ten would be I'm very empathetic. I walk in sympathy. Where do you think you sit on that scale? All right, this is the last concept we're going to move to. Grew. Genuineness, respect, empathy, warmth. Okay? This is the R, respect. And I love this. This is about carrying the load versus bearing the burdens. In Galatians 6, 2 through 5, the Apostle Paul, he wrote, Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ's love. If anyone thinks he is too good to help another person, he's foolish. He's fooling himself. Let each of us examine our own works, and then our reason to feel good about ourselves will be our accomplishments and not the efforts of others. Every person must carry his load. Okay? So, first of all, we're to help people whose burdens are too heavy and they can't carry them for themselves. Okay? A burden in Greek is the word baros, which is a problem so large you cannot carry it yourself. Right? That requires that we have empathy for somebody's situation and sympathy to take appropriate action. It is agape love in action. When a person is overwhelmed with a burden too great to bear, we can put our shoulder to the wheel and assist them. Two shoulders make for lighter burdens. The good Samaritan saw a man with a burden and helped him lift it. Okay, So when somebody has a burden, the Bible commands us to help them carry their burden. The burden is something that they cannot carry by themselves. That's one part, okay? Second, we are not to be apathetic and think we are too good to be servants. Arrogance indicates that we are deceiving ourselves by failing to apply love to our relationships. The essence of agape love is servanthood. Third, we need to make sure each person carries his own load, okay? So you have the burden, which is too heavy to carry by yourself. And the Bible commands us to carry other people's burdens. But it also commands everybody to carry their own load. Very different things. Every person, let me see. We need to make sure each person carries his own load. Only then can he or she have self-respect. Every person, including a rebel, needs to examine his works and find accomplishments. Responsibility develops self-esteem. Dependency destroys self-respect. A burden is a weight too heavy to carry alone, but a load is a personal responsibility that we can and must carry if we are to care for ourselves. This distinction is important for it can make the difference between success and failure. Energetic ministry and burnout and communicating respect or disrespect to those we are helping. When the scripture teaches us to help people carry their burdens, it uses the Greek term baros, indicating, indicating a weight so heavy it can't be carried alone. On the other hand, when Paul says to encourage those with loads, the Greek term is fortune, which is a weight that is light enough to carry alone. In order to better understand the instructions on burdens and loads, we'll examine the golden rule and differentiate it from spurious counterfeits. We have discovered two additional rules that many of us seem to follow that cause confusion and burnout. We call them the lead rule and the stone rule. These rules also weigh us down without adding the value of the golden rule. Okay? So the golden rule. Do we have that? No? Sorry. The golden rule. It's do unto others what you would want them to do to you. Everybody's got that. The lead rule is do for others what they need to do for themselves. Okay? And the stone rule is do for others what only God can do. 
If you follow the lead rule or the stone rule, you're going to end up in a mess, okay? So when you're trying to care for somebody, when you're trying to love somebody well, when you're trying to help them, it's extremely important that you pay attention. The Bible commands you to carry their burden. The Bible commands you to encourage them to carry their load. Okay? You have to pay attention to the two, and you have to ask God, what is the burden and what is the load? Because if you're carrying their load, you're taking their self-respect, their self-esteem, you're taking their opportunity to grow in the Lord, you're taking it away from them. We can't do that. Okay? All right, so in conclusion, let me check my time. Oh, I'm late. I'm sorry. Here's what I want us to do this week. I want you to just to think through all these different things. We want to be a church that loves people extremely well and that is a, a healing community. So that starts with each of you learning skills and, and practicing skills on your own to learn to love people well. So I want you just to really reflect on your own this week and ask God, how am I doing? Scale of 1 to 10, how much do I look like you when it comes to loving people and helping people out of their situations? Can we do that? Okay. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you, and we just thank you for the way that you love us. We thank you that you're such a great guide to us, and you show us the way all the time. We're asking that you would transform this house into a body of people who love extremely well, who love you extremely well, and who love each other extremely well. Would you put trust in this house? Would you train us so effectively that you can trust, you can send the people that you're wanting to help into this house, knowing that they're going to be well cared for and well taken care of by all of us. Just highlight things this week, Holy Spirit, as we meditate and reflect on the way that we love people, the way that we talk to people, the solar T skills that we have when we speak to people, the way that we help carry people's burdens, the way that maybe we carry people's loads. God, would you reveal things to us and teach us how to be a loving community in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, thanks for hanging in there, guys. Next week's going to be fun. We'll have some good stuff coming back from VOA. Have a great week. Have a great community group tonight. Yay, <laughs> hey God.